1994, I used to read through uh, Newsweek magazine. Most of you remember Newsweek. I don't know if they still print Newsweek or not. I don't read it anymore. But Newsweek magazine, 1994, had this article on the name of the game is shame. The name of the game is shame. Now, these are secular people. This is not a Christian publication. And there's no necessary, there's not any real Christian <clears throat> indication in this article, but I thought it was interesting because of the teen pregnancies, and this is back in 94 now, because of the proliferation of teen pregnancies and because of the immorality, the spread of immorality, uh, welfare, uh, people not having dads, you know, the family being broken up and all of that. It is even alarming to the world. They even understood that if the trend continued to go that way, a nation will be destroyed by the breakup of a family. You have to have strong families to have a strong nation. And so what we've been, what's been happening in America is we've been losing our families for a number of years. Uh, no offense, men, and I'm not saying this politically, but the Democratic Party has been trying to destroy the black population in our country. How are they doing that? By giving them stuff. I told you this morning, if you want to ruin your children, give them stuff. Um, we're just made to earn. We're, we're just do better when we earn our own stuff and make our own way. And so the way you spoil a child is just give them everything you want. Welfare has made fifth generation, now sixth generation, uh, people who do not work and have not held a job. I watch interviews on TV. They'll go up in the inner city and it says, when in your family, who's the last one that held a job? Oh, we haven't had a job in four generations, and they're proud of it. Proud of it. Well, back in 94, it was a problem. It's worse now. This whole article is devoted to that we need to bring shame back in our society. I thought that was just interesting, that the world would even say shame. Now, we're not, now they're not talking about, and they qualify, not harmful shame. I don't know about you, but shame always doesn't feel good. I never had shame that felt good. But they they qualify a non-harmful shame that would cause maybe young mothers not to get pregnant or, or, or men not to, not to abuse their right uh, over a woman. Or maybe uh, he said it would be a lot better for them to have some shame than to end up in jail or with a lifelong uh, children that they are raising by themselves without a dad. And I agreed with the article. I thought it was good, but it, it uh, inspired me uh, to have a message on the necessity of shame. What does the Bible say about shame? What does it say? Well, I don't know if you saw maybe years ago they had a thing where the man on the street, I think it was David Letterman did that. He did a thing called the man on the street. He'd go out on the street in New York City and he'd ask questions. Well, they did that kind of, they copied that. Somebody else did it, Letterman didn't do it, but somebody else did it, went out on the streets in New York City, and they started asking people about the Ten Commandments. Do you believe there are Ten Commandments or Ten Suggestions? And they said, well, I think they're just Ten Suggestions. The majority of the people felt they were Ten Suggestions. Does this make you understand why we're in the shape we're in? Yeah. We have gone backwards and, and not, not forward for God. And so as that happens, of course you have trouble and rioting in the cities and et cetera. We lack in our homes and our schools and our churches also 
What we lack, one, one ingredient we lack is old-fashioned shame. Shame for doing wrong. Shame for lying. You ought to be ashamed if you lie. You ought to be ashamed if you cheat. At our school, it's a big deal. When I went to Bob Jones University years ago, cheating would get you an automatic uh, termination, dismemberment. I mean, off campus in 24 hours. If you cheated at Bob Jones when I was there, 1970 to 77, uh, if you cheated on campus and they told you this going in, you had to sign a piece of paper. If I cheat, it's my last day here. So if you cheat on an exam or they find you with a, with a card, cheat. We've, we've caught kids in our school. One, We had 15 kids in ninth to 12th grade one year a while back, and uh, I caught five girls cheating, five girls, and we all five girls we expelled the same day. So we went from 15 to 10 in the same day. I hated to do that. I hated to do that, but I loved them. And if I rewarded cheating, it was, it was the worst thing I could have done for them. And they knew ahead of time, of course, what the policy was, and they understood where we were at. And, and I had the, some of the dads come to me and say, could you go a little easier? I said, I couldn't because I had given my word to those folks. If they cheated, they were expelled. They knew that going in, and they need to come up against the wall once in a while. People need to come up against the wall. Our problem in America is not too much mercy, or excuse me, not too little mercy, but it's too much mercy. They, they, they get repeat offenders. I used to hear the third strike, you're out. You know, third time, they don't do that anymore. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, guy's been out, he's on probation, he murders somebody else. That's got to stop if we're to have a civilized place to live. You ought to be ashamed if you're a thief. You ought to be ashamed if you commit adultery or you're covetous or materialistic. If you're living together, you ought to be ashamed. I just read the other day that the people living together just outran the people being married in, in the group of people we're living with. More living together than, be, than getting married. Uh, you ought to be ashamed if you cuss. And boy, cussing has gotten completely out. Of, I mean, <laughs> it was never good. But it's gotten out of hand, for sure. I mean, people just rather cuss. I mean, you go on some of these construction jobs, they know three words. Uh, you ought to be ashamed of being mean or divorcing and appearing half naked in public. If you wear leggings, God forbid you ought to be ashamed of yourself, especially if you're a man. <laughs> you ought to be ashamed about just being weird. I mean, we got people that are specializing in how can I just be really weird. They wear pants. They wear pants about down to here. And they try to walk around. I heard a song one time said, pants on the ground, pants on the ground, acting like a fool with your pants on the ground. We ought to be ashamed. Women ought to be ashamed of wearing men's haircuts. I can't get my hair cut much shorter, ladies. Women ought to have women's haircuts, and men ought to have men's haircuts. And all God's people said amen because that's the Bible. That's the Bible. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. That's straight out of the book. Who preaches on that anymore? It's a shame for home. We ought to be ashamed about homosexuality. We ought to be ashamed about being effeminate. 
The Bible doesn't just condemn transgender homosexuality. It condemns men being effeminate and women being masculine. It, con it condemns crossover straight up and down. Uh, we ought to be ashamed of cheating the IRS. Ooh. We ought to be ashamed of going bankrupt. I was raised among a group of people that you didn't go bankrupt, you paid your bills. Whoa, that's some new news. You ought to be ashamed of being lazy, just lazy, just dog lazy. Man, you ought to be out there, man, hitting it hard early to late while you can, as long as you can. You ought to be, we ought to be ashamed of, of being a slob. Man, am I, this is good preaching. I mean, of being a slob. I usually like to go over and visit people at their house. Now, I'm not there to judge you. But I'll tell you that, well, now we got to clean up for a week before you can come over, preacher. What in the world's going on at your house? You ought to be ashamed of football on Sundays. I'm ashamed of it. I lived in a time when there was no football on Sundays. Raise your hand if you live in a time. No football on Sundays. That was a good time. I remember when I played sports and I played, I played football and I played baseball eight years. They never had practice on Wednesday night. Never had practice on Wednesday night. Why? Because they didn't want to take the kids out of church. Hello. Now we got people going to church an hour a week. You can have practice anytime you want to, just about. And you can even have practice on Sunday because they'll go Saturday night for an hour. You see where we're going? You see what's going on? We ought to be ashamed of Playboy and Penthouse and pornography being 42% of the Internet. We ought to be ashamed of playing the lottery to try to get rich quick. I've never bought it. Who got up here recently and told, who was it recently said they never bought a lottery ticket? Was that the... That was a preacher. That was strange, brother, strange. God bless his soul. He's 80 year old, never bought a lottery ticket. I've never bought a lottery ticket, not one. Now, if I find one on the ground, it wins. I'll cash it in, pay tithe. <laughs> but I'm not going to buy one. I, I voted it. Why? My conscience won't let me. I voted. Remember when we had a referendum to have the lottery in Florida? I voted against it. I went out to some of the poorest area. Uh, in our in our southern part of Florida, up by Okeechobee there, and you couldn't even get a drink, buy a drink in a 7-Eleven on Friday because there would be 20, 25 poor people that make barely enough to live and subsist buying $50, $60 worth of lottery tickets. And I would be, I just want to buy a, a Mountain Dew. I just want to buy a Mountain Dew, man. Can I get it? Is there any short line? He said, no, we ain't got one line, man. All these. I said, so I'd talk to the guy. Why are you buying lottery tickets? Man, if I'm ever going to get rich, it's going to be by the lottery. I said, all you're doing is getting poorer. You have a 14%, 14. I'm going to get this out. You're 14 times more likely to be killed by lightning than to win the lottery. Listen to me. You're 14 times more likely to be killed by lightning than to win the lottery. That doesn't mean somebody doesn't win it, but let them have it. If you read the stories on everybody ever won the lottery, they had a horrible time. All the relatives show up. We need, by God's grace, we need a return to old-fashioned shame in some areas of life.
The word shame appears 115 times in the Bible. The word ashamed appears 122 times in the Bible. Shame is not all bad. Thank God for shame. Much shame and a lot of shame is healthy for us. It's helped me. So I know some shame is wicked. I know some shame is destructive. Don't sit there and be thinking about all the destructive shame or all the unhealthy shame. How about thinking of some healthy shame? Um, it'll, it'll be good. I want to read you a few things in the Bible. Take your Bibles. This is unusual for me, by the way, but I'm going to do that, which is unusual. The book of, uh, let's see, let me start with, I even marked these. I'm actually reading out of the book, not out of my notes. Uh, we're going to start with Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3 through 19. I'll try to read quickly for you, but I want you to pay attention to this. Make sure I'm loud enough on this. That everybody's getting it. If you have any trouble hearing, we got headsets for you. We can help you out. Listen to Daniel's prayer and confession for his nation, which, he, by the way, you know that or not, you that may not be well-versed in the Bible, uh, Daniel uh, was uh, the nation of Israel had finally sinned to the place. Uh, north, ten northern tribes of Israel had already been taken away by Assyria. Two southern tribes of Israel were another 136 years past that. And finally, they send their way to the place where God says, I'm going to bring the Babylonians in. They're going to take the city. They're going to burn the city. They're going to burn all your houses. They're going to make your place a dunghill. And you're going to be taken over and be, most of many of you are going to be killed. And mo many of you are going to be, some of you are going to be taken over to Babylon as slaves for 70 years. Now, I want you to get something about this. These are God's people. These are God's people that he had to do this to. So this is what Daniel says. He's captive. He's been, his parents, he may have watched his parents being murdered by these people. He's, he's a smart kid, so they pick him up and they want him to help them. So they make Daniel basically help his enemies, that's what it amounts to. He says, I will set my face unto the Lord God, in verse 3, and seek, seek by prayer and supplications with fastings and sackcloth and ashes. I will pray unto the Lord my God and make, make my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces as at this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because they are trespassed, that they have, they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. And to the Lord our God belong uh, mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. We walk to walk in thy laws, which he set before us by thy servants and the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they, may, that they might uh, not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, that's Deuteronomy chapters 27, 28, and 29, uh, the, of, of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and our judges, and judged us by bringing us uh, a great evil. 
For under the whole heaven hath that not been done as have been done under Jerusalem. And as written the law of Moses and all the evil that come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand the truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for he, we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and hast gotten thee renowned. And at this day we have sinned, and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because of our sins, for the iniquities of our fathers Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, our, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon the sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear. And here, open thine eyes, and behold our desolations, the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken, and do defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. That's a prayer of supplication for them. The book of Nehemiah. Chapter 1. Let me read a little bit more there. Chapter 1, verse 5 through 11 of Nehemiah. Again, a, a, a book of captivity. And it said, I beseech thee, O Lord, a God of heaven, and great and terrible, and keepeth covenant and mercy to them that love and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel and, and thy servants, and confess, I want you to notice that, confess the sins of the children of Israel which, shall have, which they have sinned against thee, both I and my fathers have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not uh, kept the commandments nor the statutes nor judgments which commandest thou, thy, commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, that if it transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though you were out, cast out to the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather you them, them hence, and I will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set thy name there. And it goes on. For the sake of time, I could go on and read Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 13 through 33, where Nehemiah maybe makes one of the most brilliant prayers of confession. If you want to learn how to pray a prayer of confession and get some, get some power with God, you can read Nehemiah chapter 9 also, and you will find that he is powerfully makes intercession for the children of Israel. How did they get there? How did they get there? How did God's people? who had every advantage imaginable, had God on their side, the law given to them on the hands of angels, the Ten Commandments, the 613 laws, prophets raised up by God. How'd they get there? They got where they weren't ashamed. They weren't ashamed of their sin anymore. They hardened their necks and stiffened their shoulders against God's conviction. 
But the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Psalm 33, 12 said, Bless the nation whose God is the Lord and people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. We need the President of the United States to get up on live TV and confess the sins of America. Boy, wouldn't that be sweet? To have an actual president get up and say America's done something wrong. I don't think we've even come to the place where we're willing, where, where publicly America, we're not even willing to say, so born again Christians are, but that they've even done anything wrong. Personal confession, public confession is healthy and necessary for us to be where God wants us to be. In the law of Moses, when a person brought a sin offering to the priest, he or she would lay their hands over that sin offering and confess their sins. The priest was there and others might be mangling around. It had some privacy, but not total privacy. The priest would offer sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5, And it shall be that when thou shalt be guilty in one of these things, that thou shalt confess that he has sinned in the thing, and it goes on to say about laying of the hands on the uh, sacrifice and transferring the guilt over to the sacrifice with their confession. We have it a lot easier in the New Testament. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because the Lamb of God has purchased our salvation. And we can come before him. The word confess simply means to agree with God that you've done wrong. You're never going to go anywhere with God unless you get a real healthy idea of what sin is, and when you do it, get right with him by telling him what I did was wrong. What I did, I'm ashamed of what I did. I grieve at what I did. The thoughts I have, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my, my redeemer. In other words, not even just what you do ought to be pure, but what you think ought to be pure. You folks are out there watching YouTube. How's it going? They slip stuff on you that's wrong. So both individually and nationally, sin is to be confessed publicly and sacrifices to be made. And of course it is. When John the Baptist uh, was the predecessor of Jesus to make his way ready, John the Baptist asked his baptismal candidates to confess their sins before he would baptize them. In Matthew 3, 5, it says, They went out of Jerusalem to him and Judea and all the region around about Jordan, and they were baptized of, uh, in the Jordan confessing their sins. I almost never hear Christians anymore saying they're doing anything wrong. It may, it's a healthy thing once in a while when somebody gets up and says, Brother, I've been struggling with smoking. Would you pray for me? Why don't we hear that kind of stuff at prayer meeting? Instead, I stub my toe. Would you pray for me? I get to go to Disney next week. That's a real prayer request. I flipped out on that. Well, we need to get back to being willing. Listen. I get up here and tell you everything I've ever done is confess some of my wife's sin. People say, oh, you're a church transparent. It's because humility and transparency are brother or sister. If I'm proud, I don't want you to know who I really am. If I'm humble, I don't care if you know who I really am. 
You with me? I struggle. You struggle. I'm constantly battling with my eyes. Constantly. In this society we live in, there's whole places I've had to quit going to. I quit going to the beach. I quit going to the mall. If I quit going any more places, I'm just going to stay home. I quit Costco. You'll love that one. I quit Sam's. I pay retail. Converts in the early church confessed their sin publicly. Acts 19.18, many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. In 19.19, it actually says many of them also which were used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. They counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a massive amount of money. Basically, they had all these witchcraft books and they've been conjuring things up and doing stuff and playing all that kind of, that whole deal and and the Holy Spirit came in. Where God's Holy Spirit deeply convicts people, they, they readily get up and say, what I've been doing is wrong, and I confess it and give it to God. They pile that junk up and burn it. The value of 50,000 pieces of silver, boy, I'd love to have been there that night. That was revival. What's revival? When God's people get sensitive about their sin. You can't revive the heathen. They don't have anything to revive. We, they got to get saved. They'd have nothing to revive, but we, if my people will call by my name, shall humble themselves. Part of that's not going around pretending you're just got everything, everything together and you're not struggling with sin. I know you're struggling with sin. I know you're struggling with your old nature. Your old nature is no better than my nature. Amen? You're not any better than I am. We all struggle with different, maybe different areas and different areas of weakness. I get that. But we all struggle, every one of us. And it comforts people to know that we're all having the same kind of trouble. You know what comforts people? When they find out I, I have an argument with my wife, that comforts you. How does it do that? Because you're having arguments with your wife, that's why. And you figure, well, man, if a preacher's having arguments with his wife, it's okay if I have one or two with my wife. It's not okay. But it, it shows the humanity of us. We're all just humans. We all got feet of clay. We all struggle like that. We all get selfish at times. Amen? We were quiet. We get selfish. I could try to confess that to you because, first of all, it helps me to do better. And secondly, it doesn't exalt me above that which I am. I don't want an image that's up here and a reality down here. I want you to know who really I am. And I'm not, I'm not proud of when I fail. I'm ashamed of it. But I do fail. I don't remember when you knew. I remember, some of you may remember, we had Harold Vaughn here. Remember, he, he had pneumonia. He was in the hospital. I had him booked for a revival. He had pneumonia. He was in the hospital. I called him up, and he said, I'm going to come down the next week. Can you have it open? I said, listen, if you can come, we'll make it happen. So remember Harold Vaughn came. He was sick. He wasn't himself. And he preached a powerful message. Remember he held that chair up in the air? How many remember the chair he held up in the air? He said, it's like talking to God. If you haven't confessed your sin, you might as well hold that chair up there and talk to that chair. 
after that service, we had people coming forward and confessing certain things that they had done that they wanted to get off there. Listen, public, what's the rule? Public sin, public confession. Now, we, don't, we, we are absolutely against glamorization of sin. We're, we're against giving high details about sin. We're against all that. But just when we mean confession of sin, we mean just confess it the way the Bible. The Bible calls adultery, adultery. Don't go in to describe it. The Bible calls fornication, fornication. It doesn't describe it. You with me on that? Uh, cursing is cursing. You don't describe it. Well, I've been saying this, 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 and this. We don't want you to repeat it. But brother, once in a while, it's good to have a good old-fashioned confession testimony time. Confess your faults one to another. That's what the book says, James 5.16. The word confess means, the, by the way, I looked the word faults up. Confess your faults. The word faults could be translated also transgressions. It's not the word for sins. It's the word for transgressions, the wrongs. Confess your wrongs one to another and pray for one another. You may be healed. An effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Confession is, of sin is necessary to maintain your relationship with God daily. As I mentioned, 1 John 1, 9. Confess your, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's our daily foot washing, as it were. You'd probably, it wouldn't be a bad idea if you make a list of things that is troubling you and get with you in prayer and say, God, you know, the private, private sin, private confession. There's many things we do. We can just confess to God and no one else. It's just him. It's a private matter. Public sin, public confession. Maybe it needs to be out there. Hey, I've struggled with this. And any of you else struggle with this? Shame of sin is part of the process to get freedom from guilt and punishment. If a person is truly ashamed of their sin, they will not graphically describe it or glamorize it. It says in Ephesians 5.12, ashamed even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. We shouldn't be out there glamorizing it in any way. But Philippians 3.19 says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, and who mind earthly things. We don't want to glory in anything that we do wrong. God forbid we'd ever do that because that's what the world does. Jesus took our shame, hallelujah, upon himself and showed, and showed what God thought of sin. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, interesting verse says, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 2, a classic verse says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What did he do? Despising the shame and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. God caused part of Christ's punishment for you and I was taking our shame that we rightfully deserve upon himself. And boy, he did, didn't he? He was crucified naked in public. He was smacked, he was spit upon, he was beaten, he was falsely accused, he was, he was ashamed, he was hung up by the worst possible way of death, which is crucifixion, a six-hour period of death. It usually took longer to die than that, but in the will of God, it was six hours, and they didn't take his life from him, he laid it down. That six hours was the plan. He took all, I, you that healed people and you that raised people, if, 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 you be, if you be who you say you are, come down from the cross and we'll believe. They wouldn't have believed. 
We shamed him in every way. God causes shame to be part of the punishment of sin. I believe when you sin, your conscience tingles with pain. How many have ever, don't raise your hand, but how many have ever sinned and your conscience is going into, it's actually painful. You've done something you shouldn't do, you know it's wrong, and you actually suffered pain. It's a strange kind of pain, though, and it's, it's an internal pain. It's a pain of the soul. Yeah. 2 Thessalonians 3.14 said, If any man obey not the word of this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. <clears throat> we as a church are told to separate away from disobedient brothers all through the New Testament. If a brother is willfully and wantonly in sin, we're not supposed to have fellowship with him. Now that may go against somebody's philosophy, but it's biblical. Why do we do that? So that those people out there that are called brothers supposedly out there in sin get ashamed of themselves and come back to the house of God, confess their sin, and get right with God. Get right with us, get right with God. It's a beautiful thing. That's the way you have freedom. That's the way you can sleep all night. That's the way your conscience gets cleared. Not by hiding the stuff, not by putting things in a closet. I was introduced to shame early on as a child. I got caught smoking on top of the uh, chicken coop. I've told this before. And my mother was probably a little frustrated with me, you think? I think I was about six, seven, eight years old. And uh, we thought if we got high up on the roof, the smoke would rise and that they wouldn't be able to s smell it. That's what a you know, I didn't say I had good logic. And so what I didn't realize is smoke, you smell like smoke. When you smoke, you smell like smoke. It sticks to you. And my mom and dad, neither one of them smoked. They used to smoke. They got saved, quit smoking. And so when I went in the house, she was like, first thing, man, you've been out by fire? You've been, you've been out by fire? No, I ain't done. No, no, we're good. We haven't done nothing about fire. You smell like smoke, son. Finally, I confessed it up. I ratted on my brother. I ratted on myself. She's just so ashamed. She said, I can't even believe I had a child that would do that. She broke them cigarettes up. I think they were Winston or Marlboro. She cut that paper. I remember watching her cut that paper and pile that tobacco in a pile about like this. She says, you like tobacco? You're going to eat it. I said, eat it? She said, you're going to eat all of it, and you're going to swallow it. And that's the beginning of my chewing tobacco problem. <laughs> and I'll never forget taking that first mouthful of tobacco. I don't know if you know the difference between chewing tobacco and smoking tobacco, but they aren't the same. There were no good about that at all. That first mouthful I took, I couldn't even believe it. She said, now, don't you spit that out. If you spit that out, you're going to put it back in your mouth. I love my mother. God bless her memory. And she shamed me, hard shamed me. And I had to swallow it. And guess what happened? I threw it up. Yeah, I said, I'm sick to my stomach. She says, go throw up and come back. I'm not going to have a child lie to me like that. I'd rather have you dead than a liar. What was she doing? Shame on you. Shame on you. Thank the Lord for parents that are willing to shame their kids. Thank the Lord 
And thank God Almighty, he was willing to shame me and my sin to the place I repented of my sin and confessed my sin before him and said, God, I've done wrong. If the United States of America was ever to be saved as a nation, we got some serious confession to do. Man, we're not ashamed in the United States of America. We're not ashamed of anything anymore. Men dressing like women, women dressing like men, transgenders, critical race theory. We're willing to change history, lie, take statues down of, of what happened. And the devil himself. But you say, well, I can't stop what the heathen do. We can't. Well, what we can do is we can be right with God. You got some secret sin in your life, you're hurting the United States of America. You got some secret sin, unconfessed sin in your life you haven't turned away from, you're hurting Gospel Baptist Church. You're grieving the Spirit and quenching the Spirit and causing us not to have the victory we need to have and we want to have. You say, I can do that? Yes. You remember a guy named Aiken? I read that over and over again, and I think one guy coveted some Babylonish garments and some wedges of silver and gold, and, and I believe if I remember my numbers right, 36 men died because of him. Heads of homes, daddies of children, husbands of wives. Because that one man's sin, 36 people died. Oh, get bigger than that. How about David numbering the people? Well, because he was a leader, it was bigger. He didn't trust God that God was going to protect him. He said, I want to know how many soldiers we got. And God didn't want him to do it. He did it anyway. Thousands and thousands, I think 23,000 people died. It could have been more than that. Maybe mixing my numbers up on that. It was tens of thousands of people died because of David's. Finally, David said, look, look, don't, don't, may your wrath not be upon them. May it be upon me. How important it is you live for God at Gospel Baptist Church? Everything's hanging on it. That's how important it is. We need you to be pure of heart, not just in your public action, but we need you to be pure of heart in your private action. We need your heart to be clean before God. You, if you're watching pornography, you don't think anybody knows it? Let me tell you this, the night is just the day to God. There's nothing hid from him. Every intent and thought of your heart, he sees everything you see. And by the way, someday if you don't repent of it, You're going to see it again. The verse, that was my introduction. Jeremiah chapter 13, if you take your Bibles, is my text verse. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 25, 26. Jeremiah, I just finished reading him. In fact, I just finished reading Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. After you get done reading those books, you got to take a little bit of a rest because that's God taking the strap out and saying, get over the hassock. I'm going to have to whip you. Woo! Man, those are tough books. Denunciation against sin. He says here in Jeremiah 13, 25, this is thy lot and the portion of thy measure from me saith the Lord, because thou hast forgotten me and trusted in falsehood, therefore will I discover thy skirts upon thy face that thy shame may appear. I looked that up. That's interesting terminology. The description is that a woman will be laying down 
or fall down in a group of people, and her skirt would go up over her head. How embarrassing, right? How, how embarrassing that, that God would reveal the most personal parts of you to those around. He says, I'm going to take Israel's skirt, I'm going to put it over their face, and I'm going to shame them to the utmost degree because they've forgotten me and they've turned into falsehood. Listen, we worship a holy God. We worship a God that hates sin. How much does he hate sin? Look at Calvary, amen. How much does God hate sin? What did he do to his own son? Isaiah 53 said, he took his sin, our sin upon himself. That was God's intention that Christ would pay for that. He couldn't back off of any of it. He had to take it all. No wonder in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweat as it were, drop, great drops of blood because he, I don't believe he was scared. I believe it was the idea that as a holy God, he was going to have to take upon him sin and somehow, mystically, there would be some separation for him and the Father. He prayed all night. Oh, if this cup could pass from me. But he knew if it did, we'd never be saved because he took our sins upon himself. After you get born from above, what kind of insult is it if we go back into the very thing that killed him, the very thing that punished him on the cross and commit those things? What a shame it is that we do that. And we should be so ashamed of ourselves when we go back. Listen, shake yourself. Say to God, I'm not going to do this. Get some help. Get some accountability. Whatever you got to get. But if you've got a besetting sin on you that continues to beat you, you're going to have to beat it. And I'm going to tell you one way you may beat it is to get in front of this local church here at Gospel and say, I've been struggling with this. Nobody knew about it, but I've been struggling with this, and I need God's help to overcome this. The devil hates it when you go public. He does much better when you go secret and keep things secret. Once it goes public, he's got no more. What's he got? He can't gossip because everybody already knows about it. You remember when we had trouble with Brother Boucher and his wife? My first advice to them was get up behind his pulpit and tell the, tell the church what happened and confess it. You'll de, you will de-energize the forces of darkness as they're going to try to destroy you because of that. The more you humble yourself before God, the more he'll raise you up. Brother John and brother and, and Darla got up here in tears and confessed what happened in their marriage. And now he's a senior pastor of Calvary Baptist Church. And he has nothing to be, listen, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son cleanses us from all sin. And the only way he was ever going to be a pastor again, never way he was, the only way he was ever going to be in a church again was if he humbled himself. People criticize me and say, oh, you went too hard on him. That was what saved him. That's what saved him. It made him usable again by God. That he dealt with sin in his life. He didn't try to hide it. May God give us wisdom tonight as he led me to preach this to you. Father, help me to just do thy bidding and thy call for that you'd help your church Oh, God, help us not have hidden sins. 
things being done in secret. God, convict us of all sin in our lives. Help us to be ashamed of it, that it sent our Savior to the cross. Help us to be free from it, free from from the slavery it brings in our lives, ultimate tragedy it will bring if we don't turn away. Father, we want revival here at the gospel. We want to see God's hand upon us in power. We want to see people getting saved and baptized and the bus ministry flourishing again. Oh God, we need your help. We call call upon your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.